All right, let's jump into the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, I'd like to read the verses for you again. And here it is as Jesus is teaching his disciples. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We're focusing this morning, give us today our daily bread. Lord, we come to you this morning. And God, we come with gratitude for the chance to reconnect to this degree that we can with each other. Lord, we recognize that within our own church family this week, there has been great loss. I think of the, the Bonham families and the Roberts, as Lord, they have faced the loss of two granddads this week, uh, Cole Roberts and Carlisle Pickard. I pray, Lord, for the, the Spiegels and Rankin family as Marshall Rankin went home to be with you. I pray for the Cookers and the Ammons family as they laid to rest their beloved uh, uh, Nina. Lord, for these families, we just pray that you would be yourself, the one who is near to the brokenhearted and near to those crushed in spirit. God, now I pray that you would teach us as we open the scriptures again, teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been looking at the Lord's Prayer, and we saw in the first part, we've actually seen three different things that God, through Jesus, is encouraging us to pray about, and they all relate to God and His purposes. They are for God's concerns, for His purpose, and His glory. The fourth prayer request, the one we'll be looking at this morning, is for practical needs in our lives, and then we'll see the next two times we'll be looking at our personal prayer for spiritual needs in our lives. But this particular prayer request is actually the one we pray most, praying for practical needs in our daily lives. I'd like to look at this together, and I'm going to try to point out four things that I think that we need to believe when we pray this particular prayer. The first of those is we need to believe that God's glory is the reason for our need. He says, your name be hallowed. Not our name would be shown to be special, not our character. He has asked us to pray your kingdom come, not that I'd be building my kingdom, but that his kingdom would be built. That we would pray your will be done. We're not asking for ours. We are not designed to live independently, and God intentionally and purposely talks about Himself and says, I want you to live for my will to be done. I want, you are designed to live for my glory. And when you pray, Lord, give us my daily needs, it is to be in the context of a heart and a life that recognizes that ultimately, that which is true of our lives is to be to the glory of God. This is true in the arena of our needs. We are not designed to live independently. Our dependence on God is the foundation of the creator and creature relationship. It's the foundation of the father to the child relationship. And so when we come 
to God, and when we recognize that we are praying about our needs, we recognize it is in the context of these first three prayers that even our needs are designed to help us live to the glory of God, that God created us with needs. Before the fall, before sin entered the world, God created humanity with needs. He created a son without which we could not survive. He creates water without which, without being able to drink. He created uh, all the elements of creation that are there for us to enable us to be reminded of our needs. He created an atmosphere with oxygen, which we need to survive. God created us in a dependent state. Why did he do that? Because God has always designed that our lives would be lived for something beyond ourselves, ultimately for his glory. Now, we might say, well, that sounds pretty self-serving. I mean, come on, that seems selfish. I mean, why does God need my life to be for his glory? I mean, why didn't he just create me to be happy? Well, here's the interesting thing about the glory of God. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, put together way back in 1647, the greatest statement, I think most Christian uh, theologians would say, the greatest statement of, of the uh, summary purpose of humankind, and the word end is actually the word we would use, purpose or aim, and he says it this way, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. I think John Piper, Jonathan Edwards, C.S. Lewis, and others have, have elucidated this statement and, 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 and given us an understanding of what this actually means, where they have said this statement, man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying Him to forever. John Piper even highlights, and if you've ever read a John Piper book, this is basically in every book he's ever written, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Now, you may say, well, I don't want to be dependent. I'd like to live an independent life. Well, you were never created with that capacity. Now, as Jesus points out, those that are wealthy, that are powerful, and in the definition of the world's view of, of power and independence and affluence, we tend to think, and, and, and quite frankly, most of you listening to me this morning, in, in the context of the world order, you are a part of that powerful, affluent community. We tend to feel we're independent until we are reminded of our real dependence and our inability to control our lives when we get a cancer report, or when we get a, a, a stock market fall, or a pandemic strikes, or a job loss, or a heartbreaking rejection from a lover. We are reminded that we can't control our world. Well, you were never designed to. God designed you to live in dependence upon Him and the more you find your needs met in Him, the more you bring Him glory. Now, here's the incredible reality of that statement. Think of all the ways God could have chosen to get glory to show how amazing and transcendent and great and marvelous He is in your life. He could have chosen it by squashing you like a bug and say, look at my power. 
He could have chosen it by smashing down our nation and showing, look at the might and the strength that I show. He could have done it in a hundred ways that are different than the way he did it. He did, could have done it by terrifying us and awing us with, 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 with just the, his holiness and his separateness from us. But God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. God has chosen to say, my greatest glory, my truest praise is when people live lives dependent upon me. And I am able then to pour into the open gate of a heart of dependent and, and, and humility, joy and satisfaction and peace. God is glorified through our recognition of our needs. And the first thing that we believe about our needs is that our needs are intended to bring glory to God. Secondly, we believe that God knows what we need, which may or may not be what we think we want. Our need is the focus of this prayer. He says, give us today our daily bread. Daily bread is what we need to survive. He's talking about the sustenance of life. Give us our daily bread. Giving, give us what will enable us to survive and prosper. This phrase, daily bread, actually is not one that was common. There are actually no usages of it in the ancient Near East. Jesus is actually coining a phrase here. It's a metaphor of all those things that we would consider necessities for life. It is, it is praying for our practical needs, whatever feels like an essential in our lives. It is praying not only for our physical need, our physical food and water. It is praying for our emotional needs, our mental needs, our psychological needs. It's why Jesus in one passage says it this way, your life is more than bread. In, in Luke chapter 12, there he is emphasizing the fact that, that that your life isn't just satisfied when your physical needs are satisfied. You're more than that. And when we pray for this, for bread, it's a metaphor for saying, God, I need you to meet my needs. The practical daily things that feel like essentials to me. The, third, the second thing we find out about this when we believe that God knows what we need is that we don't really know our needs all the time. For instance, what is appropriate to define as a need? When I say, God, give me my daily bread, I'm actually asking, give me the things that are essential to me, the sustenance without which I, I, I can't operate. Well, we may feel something is, but is it really? And this is where we need to remember that God is our Father, not our genie. Imagine how a genie would operate. Imagine if you gave Aladdin's lamp to a child and, and gave them the power to, to anything they want, anything. I mean, it, it would be like uh, saying, giving matches to a child or, or having no safety locks in the car or having the shotgun not in the locked cabinet. Well, what if we had a genie instead of a father? We would be like that child in prayer because we're never mature enough to just know on ourselves what our true needs, right? You say, well, you know what, a six-year-old certainly wouldn't know what they should really ask God for. Well, would a 16-year-old 
I would suggest not. Would a 36-year-old? Well, the interesting thing you find in your adulthood, when you're 36 or 56 or 86, is you're always looking back in your life and saying, what? Man, I'm so grateful that God didn't give me that. Man, I, I, I thought that was what I needed. That would have been the worst thing that could have possibly happened to me. We're never in the place where we are old enough to not be stupid. So, if we're always in the place where we would always think that our need is to not face danger or pain or discomfort, and that we would always wish for safety and affirmation and encouragement and no conflict and prosperity and ease and health, and we would always feel, it's easy to feel, that those are, those are needs. And some of those we do need to keep going, and some of those God does give to us. But of course, the problem is, we often find that those very needs that we, or very wants, are not what is best for us. Because God's purpose for us is to be fully satisfied with Him. It is, where, it is how the engine of our life ultimately works. So how do we pray this prayer? How do we pray, give us this, give me this, this? How do we pray with specificity for our needs when it's so easy to really be praying our wants? I'd suggest a couple of things to remember. We pray to the one that knows what we need. And often he shows us exactly what to pray. He lets the Holy Spirit guide our prayers. And often in the scripture, he talks about the Spirit being a guide and directs our prayers and what to pray. He prompts us. He leads us. I think this is one of the, one of the greatest and most important values of praying the scripture. That allowing God to lead us through passages of Scripture, and so many times, if you have not done this, what you will find as you go to a portion of Scripture and just let God lead you through that, start with the Psalms, let those words become your words, what you will find, and it's an amazing experience when it happens to you the first time, is you will find that God actually, in those verses, is leading you to pray for something, and you realize, that's exactly what I need to pray. That's exactly my need. I wasn't even aware of it. I wasn't conscious of it. But God is using His Spirit to lead you through His Word to give you the exact words to pray exactly what you needed. But God also answers the heart of our prayers, even when He does not answer the specific asks. And here's what I mean by that. There are places where God says to us that God will give you the desires of your heart. Well, does that mean every time you desire something that, that, that well, I desire a, a new Lexus. I desire a, a Maserati. I, I, well, so do I pray, God, this, this is my daily bread today. For Monday, my daily bread is a, is a new Maserati. Well, might be, but not for sure, for sure. So what is, he, what is he saying about this desires of the heart? Well, I think the idea is that a child asks for something, and the parent realizes that, that it isn't the best thing for them. But often a, cha- a ch- parent will recognize that the child in the request, there is the desire of the heart. 
that good parents don't respond to unwise proposals, but they might try to give the heart longing that is there. Jesus once is described in Hebrews chapter 5, praying to the Father, and it says this in verse 7, with loud crying and tears, he was heard for his reverent submission. And then the next verse talks about him ending up going to the cross. Jesus in the garden was crying to be relieved of the burden of the cross. If, if there's any way, if it's your will, uh, could, could you remove this? The Father did not remove this. Does that mean he didn't answer Jesus' prayer? I would suggest it was this. I think God was providing for Jesus what he saw was his ultimate heart desire, even if it meant going through pain that he did not want to experience. That he knew that the the glory beyond was the ultimate longing of Christ that his, it would end in glory for Jesus, end in resurrection, end in heaven and earth, bowing before him, his name being above every name. But to get there, it meant going through the Via Dolorosa, the road of suffering, that God the Father heard the longing of Christ, his heart's desire, which Jesus willingly accepted upon the cross, but he did not get relief from it. Sometimes God says no, but it is a way of answering our heart cry. Let me try to illustrate this. Richard Sibbs, a Puritan, said it this way, if you go to God, he may not give you the gift you want. He will always give you the value, but not always in kind. He illustrates, he says, you may ask for gold, and he gives it in diamonds. You may ask for a job that will relieve stress. Instead, he gives you grace to endure stress. You may ask for a husband. He gives you a deepened relationship with himself or with other friends. You may ask for healing for a loved one, and he gives healing rather of mind and heart to endure the affliction. Paul prayed three times for a thorn to be removed. Whether it was a person that was driving him crazy or it was a physical affliction, God did not give him relief, but rather God said, no, in your weakness, I will show myself strong. And Paul was thinking, Lord, this, is, this, this affliction is, is hindering my ability to serve. The Lord said, no, I, I will give you that strength, but I will do it by keeping you weak. I will give you what you valued, but not in the form you looked for. Now, Paul could have said, I don't want the strength. You know, I'll still have to face the pain, the weakness, the persecution, the hardship. But Paul did value the what would come through even the weakness. And so, even in those things that we might think, well, you know, this is, this is what my need is. I need this. I need, I need to not, I, God, I need you to deliver me from this horrible experience that I know is coming. In some cases, well, in most cases, is not nearly as what we expected or what we, in, we manufactured it to be, but in some cases it is. And God says, no, I'm going to take the heart desire I sense there. You will look back and you will say, thank God you didn't deliver me from it. He allows us to experience that. The third thing we find God that we need to believe is God delights to give us what we need. 
Matthew 7, 11 says it this way, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? God has never withheld a truly good thing from one of His children. He always gives us what is best. There has never been a parent who wanted their children to have more joy than God wants for you. He has linked his own glory with you being satisfied in him. Sometimes it is painful for a greater good later on. But the reality is that we are encouraged to come to a father and say, Lord, I I need my, my daily essentials. I need, I'm praying for provision here. And he is promising to provide, although it may not be in the form that we hope. Number four, we believe God gives us what we need when we need it. This is, this is an interesting, important insight. Give us today our daily bread. Give us what we need today. This is an obvious reference back to the, the manna experience in Exodus 16, where God provided this miraculous food, this, this stuff, manna, which the word literally means, what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. And God had it come with the dew in the morning, and it was actually something they could use that, that they could make into uh, to loaves and bread, and it fed them there in the wilderness, came every day, but God gave clear stipulations. He said, only take what you have for one day. And when they, when they tried to take extra and save it overnight, just in case the manna didn't show up the next day, they came the next day, and the stuff was, was riddled with maggots and stunk. God said, no, this is only good for today. Every day, he wanted them to have a reminder of their dependence. They only were to take what their need was for one day. And this is how we're to look at our lives. That we are praying, Lord, I I don't want to live in a state where every day I have to to re-depend upon you. It's exhausting, right? I mean, as an Israelite, you would have been the same way as the Israelites. So would I. I'd say, look, why don't we just load up today, and then tomorrow we can do other stuff. We'll get enough for the week. And the Lord said, no, I want you to come out here every morning, go through the same ritual, the same way I want to remind you, you are utterly dependent on me. Now, what we want right now in the midst of pandemic and all the chaos that are around us is we just, God, God, just solve it. Just get control back, get routine back, get order back. But isn't this also a gift of God? To remind us that we are to live as dependent people. That every day we are to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm not asking for for tomorrow or a week. I, I need daily provision. I need you today. Now, the reason that we, that's exhausting is because you say, oh, man, I don't want to go through this every day, you know. You know well, some of you have heard the story, and this I'm going to close. George Mueller. George Mueller was the guy who, in the 1800s, started an orphanage in Bristol, England. Started with a handful of kids, and then it grew into a bunch of kids, and eventually it grew to 10,000 kids that he had an orphanage, largest orphanage in the country. And it's privately run. And George Mueller had a conviction that he would never go public with the needs. 
So day after day after day, they, they were in crisis, it seemed like. He's got 10,000 kids. They don't have refrigerators. They don't have uh, freezers. And he's got to feed these kids, and he doesn't have any continual supply of finances. They tell us the stories of literally some mornings they got up and, and all of the staff, and he knew there was not food to feed the kids that they were down to the, the bottom of the barrel, and, and all of a sudden, God would miraculously provide. This guy would show up with a wagon, and he said, I was taking all my oxen to market, and, and, and everything broke down, and so I don't have anything to do with this. Can, can this help you? It's just amazing story after amazing story. Now, if you're like me, here's what you think. That's exhausting. It's so exhausting to live with the tension of that kind of pressure, right? Oh, my goodness, what it must have been like for that guy. How can we do that? How can you live that much on the edge, living for your daily bread, being literally your daily bread for you and 10,000 kids? Well, I would suggest to you God is not going to probably ask you to do that. But he is going to ask you to do what George Mueller did as a habit of his life. Every morning, George Mueller, and he tells this in his, his autobiography, Every day, George Mueller started his day where he went, he spent time in the Scriptures, he meditated on the Word of God, he got his verse or verses that God spoke to him to, and then he went for a walk in the fields. Now, this is when he got 10,000 kids. Every day he did that, he went out to the fields, and as he was out in the fields, he was praying back those verses to the Lord and talking to him about it, and he said, I would, would return back to the orphanage and the daily responsibilities and, and the volume of meetings when I had my soul happy in Jesus. That was his line. It's interesting that, that when Radio Bible Class uh, called their daily devotional, they gave it the name Daily Bread. Part of our experience of living in dependence on God day by day is the Scripture is letting the Scripture speak into us. It is hearing God speak into our lives that we even know what to ask for. This pandemic time and all the other chaos that's going on, it's an amazingly beautiful opportunity to learn to live day by day, to learn to live simply and say, Lord, I don't know where it's going. I, I can't control it. I mean, it's just chaos. I, I don't know what my kids are. I don't know. Oh, my goodness, how are we going to... The Lord says, hey, it's a great chance for you to learn. Ask me for today. Today, give us today what I need. Tomorrow, ask again. Regather the manna. Live simply, dependently to the God who is ultimately controlling. And when there's a season when we're reminded how little control we have what an awesome opportunity to live this prayer. Lord, give me today's bread. Lord, we look to you, the one who speaks and ministers to our needs. God, use this season in our lives to make us dependent upon you each day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.